Welcome to More Than a Few Words, a marketing conversation for small business owners. MTFW is a production of Roundpeg, where we help small businesses become big businesses. As always, you can join the conversation by calling in with your questions at 805-285-9865. Or you can share your thoughts on Twitter. Be sure to use the hashtag MTFW. Now, let's get the conversation started. Good morning, everybody. This is Lorraine, and today we are going to be talking about content marketing. And I couldn't think of anyone better to have as a guest for today's program than Michael Reynolds. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good. We're so glad you could come and hang out with us. Um, also, hanging out with me today, recovering from yesterday's bout with the flu, Allison, good morning. Good to be back from the dead. Yeah, we're glad to have you. If you guys want to join the conversation, you can shout out to Tamara. She's hanging out at the Twitter speed this morning. Morning, Tamara. Good morning. Okay, so content marketing. Um, hot new thing, yeah? Uh, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by sort of? A lot of people think it's new. It's like uh, 2013 is still the, the year of content, all this stuff. And, and uh, yeah, it is sort of kind of new and shiny in some ways, but it's actually been around for a while. Um, it's just been kind of repackaged recently with some of the new tools and technology we have. So, I mean, I even think going back to, you know, the traveling salesman back in the day, way back when before any of this stuff happened, you know, uh, he would go around to houses, he would come into your home, he would demonstrate a product, he would teach you how to use it, um, and he would educate. And then somewhere along the line, we kind of got caught up in this whole instant transaction advertising mode. And so it's kind of nice now to see that um, with social media, with blogging, with a lot of the content tools we have, we can kind of get back into this mindset of uh, teaching and educating, which is really exciting. And I think that's really where consumers uh, want to relate to companies as well. I think, you know, it's it's been an interesting transition because um, Allison, you know, has been with us about three years and she started doing content when everybody else was doing link. Yeah, when everybody was doing SEO backlink building. Ah, and were, link video. Yeah, link they were doing all that good stuff. We, we started with content. So it really has been a, a big mm -hmm. shift. But something that we find that, that business owners struggle with when we talk to them about content marketing is they are used to this instant transaction. Well, why do I want to talk about things that aren't directly related to my product? How do you respond to those concerns? Yeah, well, it's very tempting. I mean, we have the, I would say, literally 100% of the time <laughs> when we talk to our clients, <laughs> they, they have that mindset. They're thinking, well, why would I talk about anything besides my products or my services? Because we want people to buy things, right? And and yeah, of course you do want people to buy things. That's the end goal usually if you're running a company. Um, that's kind of the uh, the end game there. But um, as consumers, we're so much uh, better now at filtering things. We're better at you know blocking things we don't want. We've got ways to filter uh, you know TV commercials, things on the web, audio, any kind of medium we consume, we can filter it and really pick and choose. And so. Um, we really have no choice because consumers are not going to listen if you just kind of shove your marketing in their face all the time and say buy, buy, buy. Um, they want to be, uh, they want to have uh, research material at their fingertips and they can use Google, they can use social media and they know how to do it. Um, and there, I forget the name of the study, but there was, um, I think it was by Roper um, Public Affairs or, or something, uh, I think I got pretty close. Uh, that company did a study and said that um, based on their research that I think 60 to 70% of people uh, prefer getting 
product information in the form of articles and content as opposed to an advertisement, and they just really are tuned to that. I, I think I think the uh, your radar goes up as soon as you see advertising. Your radar. Yeah, the brick walls and the you just you don't want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about content, what kind of things sort of fall into the realm of content? Um, what type of materials should companies be thinking about creating? Well, you and I both know that the centerpiece of content marketing is simply a blog. Um, unfortunately, most people hate blogging. They like to read blogs. <laughs> About 50% of Internet users supposedly read blogs according to HubSpot, and they do a lot of studies on this stuff. Um, so half the people at any given time that you could reach are reading blogs already. But uh, people hate writing them for some reason because writing is hard. Writing good content is difficult. It's time-consuming, and to do it right takes a big commitment. So people just don't like doing it. Um, but it's really, for us, the centerpiece of pretty much any content marketing strategy. I think for you, too, as well, here at Roundpeak, you obviously blog all the time, and it's very effective. So we like to see a blog as a centerpiece. And then beyond that, we see a lot of success with things like uh, e-books and guides, downloadable materials that people can put on their iPads. I've got my iPad right here full of e-books. Um, video, also great content. Uh, webinars. Uh, checklists, templates, anything that solves a problem for someone, um, any different kind of medium, even a you know, podcast like we're doing right now, this is content. We're making content right here. So um, all that counts as content. And if it's um, high quality and part of the system, then it's going to have potential to be effective for you. Awesome. I want to pause just for a moment um, and remind people that when you call in, if you've got a question, be sure to push the one key so I know you want to join the conversation versus simply listening in. We're always happy to have both. Um, Allison, some of the tips and some of the things that we do when people are struggling to generate content. One of my favorite things when people tell me, you know, I find it really hard thinking of what to blog about is go through your email and look for the questions that your customers are asking you, particularly the ones that you get asked on a frequent basis. So, for instance, for us, it's why would I want to talk about, you know, things that aren't my business? That's a great starting point for a blog post because one customer has the question, more people do. And if you've already written that answer out in email form, you've got a great starting point that you can expand upon for a full uh, blog content. Yeah, in fact, um, we use a support ticketing system called Zendesk. And if you have a support ticketing system, just go through your support tickets. It's a gold mine full of content there because people are asking the same question over and over and over. And if someone asks a question more than two or three times, that's a blog topic right there. Yeah, because it, it, um, one of the studies I saw from Forrester is there's kind of this small group of content creators and there's a little bit larger kind of group of critics, mm -hmm. and then that sort of vast Everyone's group a critic, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. believe me. Um, but then there's that sort of vast group of people that never think to comment. So if you've gotten two or three questions where two or three people have raised their hand and said, mm -hmm. I'm curious about this, there's probably 20 or 30 more oh, yeah. who are curious who just never think to raise their hand. Yeah, just like the classroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what? Writing blog content is not all that different from being a teacher. Yeah, true. Different your professor's hat. <laughs> <laughs> so um, other tricks, because, you know, there's this whole idea, and I think we wrestle with it a lot, um, uh, creating content sounds time-consuming. Mm -hmm. uh, other shortcuts besides looking at your email, what are some of the other tricks that you suggest to your customers? 
Well, it is time consuming. I there's no way around that. No. So um, there's no real trick to to cutting the the time down typically. But I'd say being more productive is kind of the angle I typically take. Um, and I guess that does cut down on time. I shouldn't say it's not you know time saving, but um, I find that my best blog topics and content, ebook topics and webinar topics and everything come from talking to clients, um, like else that reading emails, looking at support tickets. And um, so that's kind of funny, but um, just thinking of stuff that just irritates me. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge goal of mine because I, you know, I see websites, I see companies doing things, I see uh, all sorts of horror stories about marketing on the, you know, on the web. People doing things horribly wrong. People doing things really right too, and doing really well. And stuff that just either irritates me or I think is awesome, you know, stuff like that that I want to talk about. That often leads to like an advice column style blog post or a, hey, here's a great example of how you can do this two style blog post or tips for avoiding this tragedy or whatever. Uh, that kind of stuff is really good um, kind of topic uh, content fodder. And then, um, like I said, really um, networking, talking to people um, when I'm talking to customers during the sales process. Talk to your sales team. Um, salespeople have the best um, content often because they get questions during the sales process and they're like, well, that's a great question. Let me send you our webinar on that topic or our video that explains that or this ebook. And they can bring back all those uh, topics to the marketing team who can then help the sales team Absolutely. and they can work together. So those make great topics also. I want to go back uh, to the thing that you said uh, a minute ago and then I probably will address the, the sales content idea, but um, we have ranting moments here in the house. No. <laughs> no, <laughs> there are, you know, there are those conversations where you, you hang up the telephone and you just think they didn't just say that. Or you read a blog post and you think they, they couldn't have possibly mm. meant that. And it's always a challenge when you go down that pet peeve route. Yeah, um, be careful. To how, how far, and, and um, I think we're kind of each other's check and balance, mm -hmm. and, and I think having somebody in-house where I'm like, Allison, I want to write this, and she's like, no, we don't. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I really do, and she's like, where are you, you don't? <laughs> I mean, I need Allison, too, because I'm not second beat, so I'm going to call you next time I write a post and say, is this okay? Is this I okay? <laughs> but I think there's a great point there. Um, actually, if you do A-B testing with this, it's really interesting. A negative headline will always do better, in my experience, than a positive headline. Mm -hmm. So, you know, five ways you suck at marketing <laughs> is genuinely going to do better than five people who rock at marketing because people are always afraid that they're going to see themselves mm -hmm. in those five ways that they suck. And so that is something to keep in mind. You don't want to get into a very dour, you know, like pointing your finger at people's tone, but at the same time, do some testing and, you know, kind of play off human nature as much as you can. I'm willing to bet that you'll find that the negative headlines are going to, to perform better for you. And that was my guest post for you, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say that, that the post you wrote yesterday, you know, how to, how to develop bad content, yeah. um, it, it's intriguing. You know, people are like, well, mm -hmm. you know, is mm -hmm. my content bad? Mm -hmm. But I, I want to kind of go down that path a little bit is with the push to create content, 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 um, I'm starting to see a lot of companies falling into the old PR mindset of it doesn't matter what they say as long as they spell my name right. Yeah. <laughs> Only in the era of social media, it doesn't matter what you say as long as you get the keywords in the right proportion. Right, as long as you blast out to enough people or get enough likes or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what downsides of bad content? I mean, I put the content out there, it's got the keywords, people come to my website, and 
Well, I kind of liken it to the era of explosion of desktop publishing. If you remember, <laughs> um, once you know Max came out and uh, PageMaker was out and all the, the software that let anybody quote become a a graphic designer and a desktop publisher, suddenly everybody was a designer and desktop publisher, and so you had all these people who didn't have to you know hire agencies or hire professionals; they could just do things themselves. And so now you look around and you see 90% of brochures out there are terrible. They're just ugly as it all get out. And you, you look at 90% of the web and 90% of any design medium, and it's just terrible. And so you have that 10% that is still done by professionals and looks awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but the other 90% sometimes ruin it for the industry as a whole, I think, because they're just not practicing their, their craft as an art. And so I'm looking at content the same way because – Suddenly everyone's like, oh, I can start a blog and I can just talk about my products and I can write an ebook and it'll be five pages of fluff and I can do this or that and make a webinar and I can, you know, hard sell my attendees during the webinar. And they think just because they're producing a thing that is labeled as content or content marketing or a tactic, they think they can get away with it. But people can see right through it. I've seen all kinds of corporate blogs and they have an opportunity to really teach and really solve problems and really use it effectively. But all they do is say, oh, we had this company party and we launched this new product and, you know, here's five features of our new service that you should, you know, care about. And nobody cares. They really don't. They don't care until they get to the point where they do care. And when they do care, that's because they've done the research, they've gotten to know your company, you've helped them, you've solved their problems, and, and they've had a relationship built with you. So, yeah, people can write bad content all day long, but good content is typically well-written, it's thoughtful. It's not selling overtly. Uh, it solves a very specific, unique problem that is difficult to Google in two seconds. And it really taps into your expertise as an expert and brings that out in front of people so they can take advantage of it. You said something that's interesting, though, and I think this is frustrating for people that are creating good content, is that the bad content ruins it for us. Yeah. Um, I think people are... And I think their barriers are going to continue to go up um, where five years ago offering an ebook in exchange for an email address, people were signing up. Mm -hmm. Now people are skeptical. I'm going to give you my email and then you're going to haunt me for yeah. that. <laughs> and, you know, so people are more suspicious and it is unfortunate because if you are creating good content, um, you're you're not necessarily getting the opportunities that sharing that content should give you. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And so part of that goes into branding as well, because if you're a maybe a brand new company or your brand is not terribly strong or a good reputation built yet, um, people are probably going to be a bit more reserved and less likely to give you the information. But if you've been around for you know 10, 20 years, you've got a strong brand, you've got a good reputation, testimonials, people talk about you well in the marketplace. That will go along with your the ask and the ask is like an email address in exchange for a download or something. You know that will help your uh, credibility as well. So branding plays a big part in this, as well as you know social proof from customer recommendations and just anything that really just strengthens your brand. Um, I've seen two other strategies, and, and I like you. I subscribe to the give me your email in exchange for my stuff approach. Um, but um, one approach that I've seen is um, uh, Michael Stetzer, um, social media explore, examiner. Yeah. When he spoke, he said that he distributes his big content 
with no um, no share, I mean, no email requirement. He just puts it out there. But then what he does is embeds throughout the document mm -hmm. his logo, share links, and encourages people as they're reading the document mm -hmm. and find things that they share it on social. Have you ever kind of done, because I've, um, I did a little bit of testing with that. I haven't done a lot with that approach. Yeah, I've done some of that. Um, I'm actually working with a nonprofit right now, and you know, a lot of their material we're helping them release with no download or no email address required. It's part of a chain of events, and it's strategically embedded in such a way that you know sometimes you get stuff with no form required or free. It feels good, you know, and you build trust at that point. And once you build enough trust, then you can ask for a little more information here, a little more information there. And you can really strategically get people involved at uh, different points along the way. And, and yeah, our ebooks typically have share links inside them, so you can you know, click right there from the PDF. Um, that tends to work really well. So, yeah, I think that can work um, if, if it's part of your strategy, then I have no problem with it. Cool. Um, the other one that I saw, um, which I thought was a little weird, we tried it for about a week, and I didn't mind it. Allison really didn't didn't like it. We got a couple of people that played with it. And this was, you didn't have to give me your email, but you had to, in order to download it, you had to share a tweet. Oh, I hated yeah. that. I hated that. <laughs> That's why I was here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a big problem with that because I was sharing something before I knew it was anything. I agree. I agree. It's asking for too much because you're putting your credibility on the line. And what if it's terrible? You just shared it and you... Claim that you like it, you haven't read it yet. So yeah, I think it's backwards. I would agree. Yeah, it's kind of like when you uh, people these days you go to their website and before you've even read the blog article, sign up for our e-newsletter. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. I don't even know if your blog is any good. So why the heck would I want you in my email inbox? Exactly. I say earn trust first and then ask for a exactly. share. You know what I think that that ties into, and and Fraser, we we did the pilot for just a couple of days and took it off because because I agree. You know, once I sort of started thinking through it, I definitely agree with Alice. <laughs> um, it, it kind of leads to an interesting phenomenon, something that you know I always knew existed, but I didn't realize how much until recently. People share links mm -hmm. without ever looking at what they're sharing. Yeah. Just on the headline alone. On the headline or on who shared it, mm -hmm. like trust, earn trust. Yeah, I'll share stuff from uh, from either of you. Uh, very quickly, even if I don't, if I, if I scan the article and maybe not read it completely, but I get the gist of it, and I'm like, yeah, they know what they're talking about. I'm going to yeah. share it. You know, some stranger on Twitter, though, I'm going to have to read it first. Otherwise, I'm not going to match my reputation and align it with that person's. We uh, we figured out very quickly just how much of that was happening. We had a uh, an alley link for our social media survey, mm. and um, for each collection point, I actually had a different link, so I know. How yeah. many people came from Twitter? How many people came from Facebook? And whatever. We got a ton of shares. Take the Roundtech social media survey. Everybody was sharing. Yeah. We had eight people sell it out through Twitter. <laughs> to be fair, a lot of those people were good friends who may have already seen it in on Facebook, on LinkedIn, through email. It could have yeah, been that they were not. sharing it. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, some of the people who were not necessarily good friends, yeah. It, 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 I mean, it, it was an interesting. It was an interesting phenomenon. Trying this benefit of the doubt thing. <laughs> How unlikely. I know, right? He's <laughs> mm. a skeptic, aren't you? Trying, <laughs> <laughs> trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, but it sounds like this content market is a really long process. Building trust is not something that happens overnight. Uh, building SEO is good content is not something that happens overnight. Mm -hmm. How long? Do businesses typically have to 
work at this before they really start seeing results? There's really no right or wrong. I don't think I've seen um, one piece of content lead to a sale immediately. That's awesome. I've seen it take a year sometimes or even multiple years to get to the point where there's a transaction happening. So it's going to be unique to every company. Um, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I mean, the, um, we have manufacturing clients where it's, it's a very quick transaction because there's an obvious need. Here's a case study in a white paper that solves a problem. Boom, I'm now interested. Very quick. Others, time to have a financial services client that, you know, that might take a long time for someone to decide to, you know, switch banks or get some financial advice, and it's maybe a, a multi-year process. So it really depends on industry and company, I think. You know, it was interesting. Um, we, we used to call it the three-month rule. Um, when we first started doing uh, content marketing for clients, mm -hmm. um, although we told them on the front end, this is going to take a while, mm -hmm. we noticed that a lot of small businesses got excited about it and then got panicked. Yeah. And they would, they, would, they would work at it for about three months. They'd work with us for three months, mm -hmm. and then they were like, okay, no, this isn't working. And it was always that fourth month where you'd start to see the uptick, and because, because we still have the analytics, so we can see kind of what's their web traffic, what's the interaction, are they getting downloads, mm -hmm. and um, so we now try to tell people, look, if you're not going to do this for six to twelve months, if you're mm -hmm. not going to invest that time, yeah, it's already a twelve-month agreement for that. Interesting, you say three months because we usually see the same thing and tell people if that's your tipping mm -hmm. point, like. For month one to three, you're going to freak out yep. because you're going to be spending all this money and you're going to be wondering what it's going for and it's going to be, you know, oh my gosh, the graphs aren't going up. And then month four, it's going to start shooting up. Your, your organic traffic is going to increase. Your downloads are going to increase. And suddenly you're going to start saying, oh, okay, now I'm not stressed out because <laughs> you see traction. So it, it, I think we're seeing the same thing, actually. Yeah, I, I think, um, it, you know, it takes a few months to, uh, to start getting noticed and, and, and mm -hmm. kind of getting that presence. Um, but I also think competitiveness of the industry. Mm -hmm. If you're in a field, I mean, if you're in a field where everybody is doing it, yeah. you got to do it more. We've got to do it different. Well, here's the thing. This is a made-up statistic, but I'm convinced that like 99% of your competitors, you, whoever you are listening, anyone out there, are not doing this very well. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard. It's really difficult. It's tough to have... It's, the mindset of commitment to content, commitment to strategy, commitment to staying the course, um, it's very difficult. And if you can do it effectively, and so if you choose to do it effectively and commit, um, you're probably going to be pretty successful because most people aren't going to spend the time or the money to really do it right. So that's an advantage to, to this type of marketing as well. I, um, I saw that on a lot of stuff that we did uh, or that we continue to do, um, email newsletters. We've been doing ours for 10 years, and I see people who, you know, get real excited first of the year like health clubs, and then they go away. Yeah. Um, so I never panic, you know, as we do, you know, whether it's producing ebooks or, you know, either for us or for our clients because of that thing. If you've got that continuity mindset, I mean, this is a long run. This is going to take a while to do it when your competitors get bored. Mm -hmm. Because that's that's what happens. Yeah. Um, you get a snowfall in February, and nobody's at the gym. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, month, the month of January, my, my husband has been working out at 5 a.m. for uh, 10 or 12 years, mm. five days a week. And they hate January. Yeah. And what they do is they hope. It's New Year's resolution month. Yeah. They <laughs> hope for a really good cold spell, because if they have four or five days of cold weather, 
all the people who were kind of toe in the water yeah. switched to the afternoon work. Now they can get a machine. Yeah. <laughs> they can get the, that space to actually work out. <laughs> yeah. So and I think I think marketing and, and health clubs have a lot, have, I definitely have a lot in common with that. Tips, as we're kind of winding down, um, tips, tools? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple things come to mind. One is we haven't talked a lot about Google, and I wish we had like five hours because we could talk about this all day. But I know we have like five minutes. But um, Google knows um, how high quality your content is. Um, they're getting better and better all the time, especially with this recent round of updates. It's getting really hard to fool Google. So um, the more, the better your content is, the more high quality it is, the more professionally written it is, grammatically correct, uh, unique. Um, trusted, shared, the more that stuff happens and the higher quality is, the better, more Google is going to trust it and pick it up and, and rank it better. So um, that's also a factor. And do your keyword research as well. The best topics also come from seeing what demand is out there for certain keywords. Um, if you have a keyword or a search term that gets you know 5,000 searches a month on it versus this one that gets 10, obviously this is more in demand. Now it might be more difficult, but you know more people are after it. So that can be a good topic to write content around. And then I think probably one of the, the last things I'd leave you with is um, get out of the mindset of selling. It sounds kind of productive, but put a whole, put the marketing and the selling aside when you write content. Like when I write an ebook, I am sitting down to solve a problem. I have my buyer persona in mind, which is my client that has this specific problem, and I am completely in the mindset of solving that problem for that client so I can hand them a resource that will make their job easier. That's what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking about marketing. I'm not thinking about sales. And if you have that mindset, your content's going to be much, much better. And Yeah, if you do that well, people will come back to yeah. you. Um, and you're right, we probably could do another two or three hours yeah. on this. <laughs> but you create all this content, people download it, and then what? Well, then you get into workflows, lead nurturing. Um, you can do a lot with it. You can do nothing with it, which is sometimes effective because if somebody just comes and you know reads a blog article or downloads a piece of content or something, that might be enough to just get them in your database, which might work for something later, or just to get your brand in front of them. And that can be the start of a, a process of relationship building. Um, but if you do have their email address and you want to take it a step further, what typically is a good idea is to um, send them a series of follow-ups or maybe a couple of follow-ups that relate to what they downloaded complement it, give them more, and continue solving their problem with additional information that is useful to them. Uh, you can also do lead scoring, which is pretty fancy. It's um, where you kind of see what pages they looked at, what stuff they downloaded, what blogs they read, um, maybe even do things like look at their geographic location, their company, their vertical market, and then score them based on what kind of persona they fit into. And then they might be you know, ready for a phone call. You call them and say, hey, I'm not trying to sell anything, but I noticed you downloaded this. Do you have any questions? Can I help you? And that non-threatening point of contact can start, you know, nurturing that relationship further. So, so it really, I mean, I think the the key thing there is if you go to the trouble though of creating the content, at some point you should have those next steps in place. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to just do a quick plug. I know that you know one of the tools that you use is HubSpot. Mm -hmm. And before we started the show today, you said that there was a HubSpot user group. Yeah, actually tonight, if you're listening live, tonight is um, the actually the first meeting of the India Area HubSpot user group that I chair. And uh, we're meeting at 5.30 at 5 Seasons on the North Side. So you don't have to use HubSpot to attend. We're actually going to, I'm going to do a presentation tonight on how to how to get content ideas from your internal team like your employees. 
Um, and I think we are tweeting out the link to it right now. So if you're on Twitter watching, uh, just click on that link and register. It's free. Um, we'll have there'll be a bar. You can grab some grab a beer and some snacks and uh, be a nice informal meeting. We'll, a lot of good companies are going to be there tonight. Awesome. And if they miss that meeting, but people want to catch up with you, how do they find you? To oh my gosh, I'm so easy to stalk. Um, <laughs> if you Google my name, you'll find me first of all. Um, but uh, go to spinweb.net. And um, I'm right there under the About page in the um, team listing. Uh, you can find me on Twitter from there, email, everything's there. So, again, spinweb.net, and uh, click on About, go to our team. I'm right there. Awesome. Michael, this was fabulous. Thank you so pleasure, much. Always. Allison, parting thoughts? If you're going to do it, just keep going. Just keep going. Tortoise in the hair. Yep. Eventually, <laughs> you'll get there. And um, it is so not my personality to be the tortoise, but it's so worth That's such a good analogy. Yeah. Um, if you have enjoyed today's program, um, be sure to mark this on your calendar as a regular event. Next week we'll be talking to Aretha Aronson about the pros and cons of partnership. As a serial entrepreneur, she has been involved in several business ventures. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. And if you'd like to learn more about marketing, networking, social media, blogging, and small business in general, be sure to check out our blog at roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.